Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, this is Rick Peterson, former Mets pitching coach, former pitching coach of the Oakland A's Moneyball era. Welcome to Jake Brown's show. And welcome to the Jake Brown Show on CBS Radio's podcast network. Played at it slash Jake Brown. iTunes and Spotify is where you find us. Friend of the program now joining us back because he's got a story we talked about a couple of months ago uh, with Rick Peterson, the former Mets pitching coach, about the Victor Zambrano trade. We want to get more on that and talk some uh, Mets baseball and all-star break. Rick Peterson CT on Twitter. And you could get his book right now, Crunch Time, How Do You Be Your Best When It Matters? Most he also does a ton of keynote speaking around the world, and you can visit rickpetersoncoaching.com. Rick, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, Jake. How about yourself? Good. Uh, how was your Fourth of July? Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was really nice. You know, I live at the Jersey Shore, so you know you can imagine there's, there's fireworks without fireworks at the Jersey Shore. <laughs> of course, yeah, you can't beat that. I was at uh, the Hamptons, so it was in the sun. Got cool. 10. We're back to work. Uh, the baseball is out of work as it's All-Star Week. First off, uh, All-Star Week in general, I feel like, has lost a lot of its luster, I would say. Like, I'm not dying to watch the All-Star game as I used to maybe five-plus years ago. And now they've, at least in one positive way, they've changed it where the home, the winning team will not get home field in the World Series. What's your feel about kind of the All-Star game and All-Star Week kind of losing its luster? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Baseball is probably probably the only sport other than golf, you know, any other team sport, that you can really play all out for the most part and and play the game the way it's supposed to be played and played at 100% effort without putting people at risk of injury. You know, other than maybe like being aggressive, taking somebody out of a double play or, mm-hmm. you know, th- those types of things. You know, so it, 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 it is an exhibition game, but it's also a celebration of of the of the the great players in Major League Baseball, and, and I think there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, it's a relaxed time. You know, it's obviously, you know, it's obviously not like you're not watching a competitive game necessarily. But I think what you are watching, which is, which is still incredibly competitive, is the matchup between the pitchers and catchers. It's not really a team matchup, but you're going to get the best of both both hitter and pitcher in those matchups without question, because there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of pride right there, and I can I, I can tell you from my experience as a major league pitching coach that the pitchers that went to the All Star game, you know, they had a pretty good idea of some of the guys they were probably going to face at that part of the game if they were starters going to pitch early in the game or some of the guys coming off the bench, and they were motivated to say, hey, listen, you know, I don't get to face these guys a lot, and um, this is one on one, and you're either going back to the dugout, I beat you, or you beat me. And so, so you, you, if the fan really likes that kind of competition, you'll get the best of that competition without question. Do, do you like the fact that it's at least turned back into an exhibition versus a game that matters? I do. I do because you really can't run a roster 
I mean, one of the one of the, and I and I never really had the privilege because we didn't make it to the World Series. We we missed mm-hmm. a couple times <laughs> briefly, mm-hmm. as we know, with the Mets by yeah. 2006 to 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 participate as a coach in the All Star Game. But it, it's really, I mean, the motivation for the managers and the coaches is to try to get everybody in the game if you possibly can, but also make sure now you can do that. Because because the game is not really whoever whoever wins is going to have the home field advantage for the World Series from the league, you know. So you can put everybody in, and and not really really be so concerned about it. is this the right move to win the game, or am I really want to get everybody who had the privilege to make the All Star team to participate. Rick Peterson joining us on the Jake Brown Show here on CBS Radio's Play Out It. All right. A couple months ago, we talked about it. We discussed. You got there in 2004. The Mets traded Scott Casimir, their number one prospect, to get Victor Zambrano. He failed miserably. Uh, you said you have a story behind it. Uh, the floor is yours, Rick. Okay, this may take a little bit of time, but just to really kind of set the record straight, if that's what you're interested in. So, so basically... We had, and I'm not going to mention other names in the background. You can do your homework and figure out who they are. But basically, there was a couple people that came over. The former scouting director for the Cincinnati Reds came over to join the Mets as a special assignment. And then one of the special assignment um, came over. I'm not sure exactly what his title was, but he was a special assignment in Tampa. And he came over to join the Mets when I came over to join the Mets as well. And, and he was a special assignment for Tampa Bay. So when the notion came up of, is it possible to make a trade for Zambrano for Casimir, you know, they initially started asking everybody, and they said, Rick, what do you think about Zambrano? I said, I don't know. I don't know Zambrano. He pitched against us two years ago. I don't really pay close attention to the opposing team's pitchers. I pay attention to the opposing team's hitters and try to figure out how to get them out for our pitching staff. I mean, I just know that our hitters thought he got nasty stuff, but I couldn't tell you anything about Victor Zambrano. And then they said, then they asked me, what about Casimir? I said, you know what? I didn't really spend a lot of time with Casimir this spring training. He was only there um, through the first exhibition or the first inter-squad game, and then we sent him down. We did send him to the lab, ASMI lab, for biomechanical analysis, and his, his analysis was, it was fairly clean. He had a couple of yellow flags, but nothing that you'd be concerned about. But I really don't know, I, don't, I really don't know Scott, you know, as a person, and so I know very little about him. So... What happened was everybody started doing homework on this possible trade internally. Well, Cincinnati had a choice to take. They could have taken Casimir in the draft before the Mets got to Casimir, and they chose not to for various reasons that they felt were um, reasons not to, not to take him. I mean, it, wasn't ha- it didn't have nothing to do with his physical talent as a left-handed pitcher or stuff. It had to do with some issues that they felt you know, might not be conducive to him you know, joining that organization in Cincinnati. They passed on Casimir. So that was a major statement. The gentleman that came over from Tampa as a special assignment, he loved Zimbrano. He knew Zimbrano inside and out. He loved everything about Zimbrano. His makeup, his stuff, you know, off the field, on the field, the whole deal. So Jim Duquette and, and, and Jeff Lopunk came to me about three weeks before the trade, and they said, look, you know, come on in. I want to watch some videotape of Zimbrano. So the one thing about Zimbrano, I want to say the batting average against righties and lefties in the, in the American League were right at 200 or under 200. He, he, was, he had the best batting average against, lowest batting average. His, his flaw was that he walked a lot of guys, a lot of base on balls. So they said, let's look at his, videota- his videotape of his delivery, and let's break it down. What do you think? I said, well, I can see why he doesn't throw strikes. 
you know, these lated foot contact, I, you know, without to get overly technical. So they said, well, what would you do to try to, to try to make this adjustment? I said, rather than me tell you, I said, you're both athletic, stand up and try to mimic Zimbrano's delivery. So they went through a couple windups and a couple movements out of the stretch. So I showed them a couple drills that we typically do to clean this up. And I took them through it and I said, all right, do this drill and then go through it again. They go, wow, that's pretty simple. Is it that easy? I said, well, we did it with about 60 pitchers in the organization this spring. You know, these are things that you typically do because you want people on time at foot contact. That's a critical factor, not only for performance, but for, for injury issues. So the other thing that I did for the trade, I went, I went back in 20 years when I did research of high school starting pitchers that came into professional baseball and tracked their path of how long did it take them to get to the big leagues. Well, the average was over 500 innings for every, every major league starter that was a high school draft. And when they came to the big leagues initially, they either came as a reliever Pitch out of the bullpen, like Pedro Martinez pitched out of the bullpen. He used to follow Candiotti with the Dodgers. That was a big matchup. He'd bring in Pedro's electric stuff, following Candiotti's 65-mile-an-hour knuckleball. Tom Lavin was 9-19. and 19. He had about 525 innings. Andy Pettit had over 600. Al Leiter had over 600. And Casimir was about at 180 at that time in our organization. And so he was basically, he was basically 320 innings away from what the average has been. So you look, you project it, and you're saying, you know, he's a full two years away, you know, to, to, to unless he beats it, unless he beats the norm of all these great pitchers, and and so from that standpoint, you know, we went through that, and so about two days before the draft, um, I I went to our trainer, and I said, you know, do we get the medical reports? What's going on with Simpano? They said, well, he's got forearm tightness, and he's he's on his um, he's taking Vioxx. Well, taking Vioxx or tendonitis or tightness or strains or whatever, that's like taking Advil for the average person over the counter. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's a normal thing that, that everybody takes when you start getting some aches and pains. So the day before the trade, we had a conference call. We were in Montreal, and it was Art Howe and myself in Art's office on a speakerphone going back to New York. And there was probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 people back in New York. The conference call lasted about two hours. So Art and I basically just sat and listened. So everybody in our organization that knew anything about Casimir that was on that call and anybody that, and everybody that knew everything about Zimbrano gave their opinions about their makeup, their health, you know, their stuff, the whole deal. So finally, towards the end of the conversation, they said, well, Rick, you know, Zimbrano's got some delivery issues that need to make some adjustments. You know, how long adjustment is that going to take? I said, that's a simple thing. You know, we bring him to the bullpen. We went through this in the office. You know, we take him through a couple drills. We show him he's very athletic. He signed as a shortstop. And if he's willing to make some adjustments, he should, you know, he, he, he can make these adjustments in five or ten minutes. And then he's got to practice it. You know, then he's got to repeat it and practice it over and over again. But to make these adjustments is very simple. We've done it with 50-some pitchers in the organization. And, and so that was about it on the conference call. So the next day I get a call from my oldest son. He said, Dad, I just watched baseball tonight. Tim Kurtz said Rick Peterson can fix Zimbrano in ten minutes. I said, what? I said, where, where the heck did he get that from? So I talked to Tim Kurtz, and I said, Tim, I said, listen, number one, you have my phone number. You know, like, if you want to ask me a question, why don't you call me? And I said, like, who on the conference call said that I could fix Zambrano in 10 minutes? First of all, I, I don't even, that's not how I think. And even, I would never say that to begin with. 
because that's not even how I think about it. these are these are adjustments in the delivery. He said, "Well, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, come on, Rick. I mean, you know, like uh, I said, Tim, you normally don't stutter. Why are you stuttering now?" And he said, "Well, he said uh, someone on the conference call called me and said, listen, we have a pitching coach that's really good with mechanics, and he, we feel he can make these adjustments.'" So anyway, so the next day, Zambrano shows up, sit down. Somebody said, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the club. You know, it's, today's Monday. He was supposed to pitch on Thursday, and he went into the trainer's room, and the trainer came back out. He said, you know what? He can't pitch his, his forearms, like, really sore. And come to find out, he's on his fifth day of a steroid med pack. A steroid med pack is like the, the highest dose of, of medication that you would take before you start getting injections. Well, he couldn't pitch. He couldn't go out and throw that day. He went to see our team doctor. After the evaluation, he flew to L.A. He saw Dr. Yoakum. After he, he, let, he flew from L.A. to Birmingham to see Dr. Andrews. So he made, a, he made a tour across the country to see three different doctors. And then came back, and we saw the report. And the report said Victor Zimbrano's ulnar collateral ligament, his UCL, is in, is in major danger. And he has already had a Tommy John surgery a couple years prior. So it took about nine days before he was ready to pitch. And, you know, so I asked Jeff, I said, Jeff, why don't we get Casimir back? And he said, well, you know, I mean, the protocols, you know, it's just maybe not possible. So because of that trade, our team doctor, our team trainer, and Tampa Bay's trainers all got fired over that trade on how medical information is passed between teams. And the protocol in the commissioner's office, they set a brand new protocol of before a trade, here's the medical documents that have to be in each other's hands, in both teams' hands before a trade is consummated. So that was, that was basically the result of the trade. So fast forward, like two years later, you remember Zambrano threw a pitch in a game in Shea Stadium and grabbed his elbow and sprinted off the field. Mm-hmm. and went went right into the trainer's room. They had a, a x-ray in there, and I went in after the inning was over, and I was standing up, and he was sitting down. He literally, like, put his, like, head in my chest and was literally crying like a five-year-old. <laughs> and he said, you know, he said, I, I, I feel terrible. I said, I, I've, I've never thrown one pitch here healthy. He said, my elbow's been killing me ever since I came here. And, you know, that that's really – and then he went on to get another Tommy John surgery. You know, after that last pitch, you know, so it was one of those cases, you know, and then what was interesting is that, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog, they're killing me every time Zimbrano and Casimir pitches, right? Mm-hmm. And so a year later, um, we, we were in, uh, they were doing the, the caravan in New York and they do a, the last day of the caravan, they bring the whole team in that, that was there for the caravan and we're all on live at, they had it at the Hard Rock Cafe with Mike and the Mad Dog. So I was the last person to go on at the 7 o'clock hour, like 10 to 7. So after the show was over, they closed out the show, and they said, oh, wow, I said, Rick, you know, what a shame. Like you, like you held the bag for the, you know, that they threw you under the bus for this zambrano Casner trade. I said, what are you talking about? I said, do you know what happened with this trade? Well, they told me the story. They, they had more detail than I just told. They knew more about the story than I did. And I said, if that's the case, why are you guys killing me every time these guys pitch? They said, Rick, don't you know the deal in New York? I said, no, I guess I don't. What is it? Never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. I said, okay, I guess I get it now. And what was so amazing for that couple years, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I'd be walking down the street in Manhattan, you know, during the season, like to go get lunch or a cup of coffee or something, you know, and people would be walking towards me. And you could tell, like, people who recognize him, people who don't. But they'd wait till after they passed me. And then they go, Peterson, 10 minutes up on Zambrano yet? <laughs> <laughs> and then the last, the, the year he got injured, uh, it was like the last couple of days before spring training. I have three sons that are all out of college now, but back then, I still, a couple of them were still in high school. And so I was cooking, you know, I would cook for him every night. You know, you know, you got young kids that play sports. So like these are monster eaters, right? So I'd make these, you know, big pasta dinners with chicken and shrimp, whatever. So I'm making this big Italian dish. And it's a couple of days before spring training. So you're trying to clean out the cabinets because, you know, once you leave, it's like you're gone for six months or eight months, whatever. And so I got the, I got one of the dishes in the oven and I got about 25 minutes, you know, bacon before it's done. And I open up the cabinet and I go, oh gosh, I need another like can of like tomato paste, you know? or tomato sauce. And so the store was like just right around the corner. I said, I'll get time to get back in time, you know? So I threw on my jacket and, you know, I had a hat on and, um, you know, like a baseball type of hat. Um, and so I'm standing in the the express line and I I just got this one can of tomato sauce. Right. So the other two lines were shopping for the week. And then the lady behind me, she, she was probably in her mid seventies and she looked, she had hair like Einstein, you know, (laughs) and she's leaning on her cart. And she goes, and she obviously couldn't hear well because she talked very loud. So she goes, hey, I know you. I know who you are. You're Rick Peterson, the pitching coach of the Mets. I said, yeah. I said, hey, keep the faith. I said, you know, we're going in the right direction. She goes, I just have one question to ask you. I said, yeah, what's up? She goes, is 10 minutes up on Zimbrano yet? (laughs) (laughs) So the other two lines in the grocery store turn around and go, yeah, Rick, what's going on with Zimbrano? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. You'll never so, live to see the end of that, huh? Jeez. I know, but but then here here's the irony. Mm-hmm. After Willie Randolph and I got fired in in June of 2008, in 2009, it was a Memorial Day weekend, and I get a call from, oh, God, I can't remember his name. It doesn't make a difference. But it was Scott Kazmier's agent. Hmm. And so I said, hey, what's going on? He said, he goes, Rick, he said, I don't know if you're really following. I said, no, I'm really not. I'm not following that close. He goes, but, you know, Scott's really struggling. His velocity's down. Um, you know, he's not injured, but they're going to probably have to put him on a DL because he's just pitching terrible and his velocity's way down. And he said, Scott would like to, you know, he'd like to reach out to you and, you know, see if you can, you know, work with him, you know, for a few days. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I don't, I'm happy to help, um, but I have to hear from Andrew Friedman, Joe Madden, and Jim Hickey. If they all sign off on it, then I'm okay. So I'll wait to hear to see if those guys call. So the next day I get a call from Andrew Friedman. And they said, Rick, you know, here's Kazimir's really struggling, da da da, whatever. We really want you to do this. We think that you could help him get back on track. I said, well, the prerequisite, he'd have to go down to Birmingham and get a biomechanical analysis like he did in 2004. And then we can compare where he is now to where he was before. I said, but in order for me to be willing to do that, I need to hear from Joe Madden and Jim Hickey. So I get a call the next day from Joe Madden. And he said, you know, Rick, he said, you know, we're open for you to do this and da da whatever. And then I talked to Jim Hickey. So Scotty went down to ASMI, and then we got the analysis back, and they put him on a disabled list. And then we were on a backfield. We were here at a local, like, high school field in New Jersey. And so I, Scott, I sat down with Scott, and we went through the, the analysis. I explained to him what was happening, and he had some major red flags then. His delivery had really went backwards. And so I said, look, let's, here, here's the plan, and are you 
open to this, da da da, whatever. So we took them through a whole day of drills and whatnot, and then a, a late bullpen and long toss and the whole deal. And so the next day, I was going into New York because I was doing the ESPN show with Brandon Tierney mm-hmm. on the radio show. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I also had met my future wife, my second wife, um, when I was going in for the weekend. So I said, hey, I said, Scotty, listen, there's a park like right around the corner from, you know, where, where my, uh, you know, girlfriend, you know, lives in New York. And, you know, we, we don't, we're not going to throw us because we, we're just going to go through some drills without throwing. So we, we could do it right there. So he goes, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So that, that afternoon, I'm talking to one of my friends. I don't mention who it is, but he's got a high, high level job in baseball. And he said, you know, I understand you're doing something with, with Scott. I said, yeah, you know, we had a great session yesterday. Um, these are some simple things. I think we can get this cleaned up really quickly. You know, tomorrow there's a little park, you know, right around where my girlfriend lives. And we're just going to go through some drills. He goes, you can't do that. I said, why? What are you talking about? He goes, somebody walks by on the sidewalk and goes, there's Rick Peterson and Scott Kasner doing drills. I said, oh, my God. I said, I didn't even think about that. You know, I, I could, like it didn't like cross my mind. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, you know, we were just doing it. So we ended up going into like this yoga studio inside, you know, in, in where my the building the apartment building had a really nice studio in there to be private, but but it, but we spent three or four days, and I talked to Andrew Friedman. I told him what we did, what the plan was, and how to follow up on it. And sure enough, he, they, he gets back on track. I get a call from Andrew Friedman because God, Rick, his velocity's back up to 94, 95. His changeup is great, and he ended up pitching really well for the next few starts. And then they traded him to uh, L.A. the Angels. How about that? So that's, so, so, yeah, that's a so that's crazy really, that, turnaround. That's a crazy story. It is. I mean, my whole life has been that way. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but you know what? You compel yourself to do the right thing, and, and you know, in very difficult pressure situations, you know, if you can really push the pause button, which is what our book is about, and say, wait a second, you know, what's the opportunity here? What's the right thing to do? And then you do the right thing, no matter what the consequences. And you know, so when all this whole thing came out. In, when the initial trade was made, and they made it sound like, you know, pitching coaches don't make trades. not what they do, you know. I mean, it was like ludicrous that that story even twisted in that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but once the story came out and it gained all this momentum, I said, you know what, I'm, I don't, I know what the truth is. I don't need to sit here and try to defend myself. People can think whatever they want to say. I know what the truth is. You know, I'm not on trial. I'm not going to jail, mm-hmm. you know. You know, so, you know, but but that's, you know that's that's the truth. I and mean, if you ask Jim Duquette, you'll get the same truth in Jim Duquette. And Zambrano was out of the league in 2007, and here Scott Casimir still here. He's on the DL now with the Dodgers, but uh, pitching well. Um, 2008. How surprised were you when you and Willie, after a win, which is amazing to me, on the West Coast, and you guys were fired after a win on the West Coast? Were you shocked by that? No, no, I wasn't because. Um, you know, there's so many leaks that go on in New York, um, and why they happen, I don't know, because I remember asking Saul Katz one time, you know, because we had a big meeting internally, and I'm not even going to get into names again, but, you know, someone stood up and said, you know, we're sick and tired of these leaks. If we ever find out who's leaking all this out, you know, you know, there'd be a lot of, you know, whatever consequences. And I'm sitting there going, like, well, why does this happen here, you know? So I went to Saul Katz, um, and I said, Saul, how do all these leaks happen? And Saul started laughing. <laughs> he said, he said, Rick, he said, I'll call Fred Wilpon at 11 o'clock in the morning and say, Fred, I, I just heard on the radio what you were thinking in the shower this morning at 7 o'clock. 
<laughs> and it's just like the it's the it's the nature, you know. So coming, you know, about a, about a month before both of us got let go, it, it started to come out that Willie was going to get let go. And during that next segment of time, Willie and I got really really close. We were close before, but I never met Willie. I never really met Willie formally until I became the pitcher, until he became the manager and I was his pitching coach. And then we got to get closer and closer. And, you know, so, you know, our pitching was doing fine. And I think what happened initially was the fact that, um, you know, the people that were going to come in and take over, you know, we had total different philosophies. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been comfortable even working for those people. So, um, I think that was it was a mutual thing, and, and I think I was kind of like a drive-by personally. But but it was interesting because um, you know I started I started getting some calls from some of my friends about three or four days before, and they said, you know what, your name is starting to surface here as well. But I'm I'm, I'm going to backtrack about a month before all this went down. I literally was sitting in my Manhattan apartment and thinking about all these things that were going on internally in the organization. And I was just going, God almighty, this is the biggest backstabbing, most toxic place I've ever been. And I said, you know what, I, 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 this is killing me. This is killing me, being, doing, you know, being in this toxic place every single day. And from that point, I, I really, I just wasn't, I wasn't happy there. And every day I would drive to Shea Stadium, and the closer I got to Shea Stadium, I would have knots in my stomach, literally. Just going, like, God almighty, this is like an awful environment. Everybody pointing fingers, everybody talking behind everybody's back. You know, and it's interesting when people say that concept about, you know, people talking behind your back, why do you think you're in front of them? <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, and so so that day, um, and we got rained out that Saturday. We played a doubleheader against Texas, and then we were flying to Anaheim. So after the game was over, um, you know, and the rumors were getting stronger, and after the game was over, I was, most of the coaches had left. Most of the players had left. We had about 10, 15 minutes before the bus was going to leave, and it was the U.S. Open. And so I wanted to see Tiger had just, I was all dressed. I was ready to walk out, and Tiger had just put his ball about 10 feet from the hole on the 18th green. And if he makes the putt, it's, it's a tie, and they have a playoff the next day. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I want to see if he makes his putt. So they break for commercial, and I was standing by, by the, my back was to the door, coming into the coach's lounge area before the locker room. So Adam Rubin taps him on the shoulder, and he said, I said, hey, Adam, what's up? He said, uh, you got a minute? I said, yeah. So as I look behind him, all the media is still there. There's about 30 people in the media still there. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's odd, you know? I mean, all the players are gone. Nobody's talking to anybody. And he said, have they told you about your situation yet? And I said, no, what, what about it? And he kind of dropped his head and, you know, like shook his head. He goes, he goes, we heard that you're not getting on that bus tonight. I said, really? I said, okay, well, you know, I'm standing right here. I'm going to see if Tiger makes his putt, you know. And, so, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I turned back. Tiger makes the putt. And, and as I went, walked by Willie's office, because I know Omar was in there, um, I didn't, they were both gone. You know, so we get on the plane, and I said to Willie, as they were loading the plane, I said, Willie, do you know what's going on? Because this is what Adam Ruby said to me. Because I said, if you do, let's call Omar right now. I'm going to get off the plane. He can call me on the beach tomorrow. You know, I don't need to fly to Anaheim for this. And he said, no, I swear to God, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. Right. And, and, he, and he didn't. And so 
we got back to the hotel that night after after the game, and I get a call said Omar needs to see you down down in his room. You know, so I, I knew what I was walking down there for, and um, I had not known that he had already fired Willie when I went down to Omar's room. Um, so that was really, you know, that was really about it. You know, so when Omar, you know, said, "Listen, you know, we're going to make a change," I said, "Yeah, I said that, hey, no problem." So basically, before said, you went out to LA, you already knew what was happening. Well, I was, I mean, not that I knew, but I was told by somebody else, "You're not getting on that bus," mm-hmm. you know, so. From that standpoint, like Adam Rubin knew, he knew more than I did. That's you know, but you know, it's it was just like so awkward. And, yeah. and what was interesting, if if you I'll, if you YouTube it, um, it's it's actually they play it on Mike and the Mad Dog, um, because the next day I went down to Willie's office or Willie's um, Willie's room with our bags. So the plan was, I mean, all the media is waiting down in the hotel lobby. Right. And so the plan was we were just, they had a car service for us and then we fly, you know, just walk to the car service, go to the airport and fly back. So Willie said, listen, I, I don't want to stop and talk to anybody. And I said, no problem. I said, I, I do Willie. I said, I'm asking you as a friend. I said, when you're ready to talk to the press, you'll have a press conference. I said, I won't. They're all waiting down there. I only have a few things to say, but I want the opportunity to say it. Mm-hmm. And I said, let me go down first, and I'll just meet you in the car. I said, just give me five minutes. I'll be less than five, but give me five. I'm not gonna. I'm not taking questions. I, I just want to make a statement because I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And and you could YouTube, but I'm making a mad dog. But anyway, I went down, and you know, I I, I have a lot of um, training in Eastern Eastern training methods, meditation and yoga and Eastern Eastern practices and whatnot. And I have a bracelet that has these symbols on it, so. You know, I stopped in front of the press. I said, look, I got a couple of things I want to say. And then, you know, I wish everybody well. I'm not taking any questions. I said, listen, I said, this is, this is like a tale of two cities, the best of time and the worst of time. And I said, when I came to New York the first few years, this is some of the best times I've had in my career. You know, they really, they really paralleled the Moneyball years in Oakland. And, and now it's the worst of times. And I said, look, when I came here, Fred and Jeff Wilpon welcomed me into their home. And, you know, I was able to come in and sit on the couch, put my feet up on the coffee table and make myself at home. And I said, but, you know, as homes get older, you know, you have renovations. And I'm one of the changes. They're going to rip out the hardwood floor and they're going to bring in custody tile. And I hope that change is productive for this home. And I said, most of our pitchers are doing well. A couple of them are struggling. Hopefully Dan can get them back on track. And this has been, you know, one of the greatest opportunities I've had and one of the greatest privileges. And I said, you know, in, in, in the Eastern language, they write in symbols. And I have a bracelet that says faith, love, compassion, equanimity. And I said, one of the symbols they use, they, it, it, it's for crisis and, and problems. But they also use the same symbol um, in a different context for opportunity. And so now I seek my next opportunity. I wish everybody well. And... I, I appreciate all the cooperation and the great times we had together. What do you think of the of the current Mets coaching situation? Do you think Terry Collins deserves to still be in a spot along with Dan Worthen? I, I don't follow it close enough to really know. I mean, you never know what goes on internally. I mean, what what you what you get from the public, you know, is is very difficult to really justify or even make a comment. And so, I mean, from being in the industry for such a long period of time. You know, for over 40 years and growing up, my dad was a GM of the Pittsburgh Pirates. We are family World Series champs. 
you know, so growing up in the industry and then participating in the industry for 41 years as a, as a minor league player and, and as a minor league coach and major league coach, that you, you can't, it's, it's really not fair to judge people unless you really know what the truth is and what the facts are. Um, I mean, look how many years people have judged me on the Casimir's and Brano trade, and, that, and then you just heard the truth today. You know, mm-hmm. it, and it's been out there a couple of other places. I don't know how public it's gotten. You know, so, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, and even afterwards, people would be like, hey, Rick, you were right on Casimir, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Does that still happen, like, today? Like, if you're walking the streets of New York today, would that still happen? I, I still get people, yeah. It, it depends on, you know, what pocket. I mean, a lot of people aren't expecting to see... You know, when you sometimes probably I would walk by people and then they realize like, oh, you know, I said that. I think that was Rick. You know, mm-hmm. um, but but I yeah, I get it. I get it frequently. More, more at events. More at events when you're around the same people for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, and then people realize that oh yeah, you know, the former pitching coach of the Mets is here. You know, and then you know, work because I live in Jersey and you know, I walk on the boardwalk on a daily basis. I, I live down at the beach and, you know, I, I work out daily, you know, so there's a ton of Met fans and, you know, you get stopped all the time, but, but not many people ask about the Zambrano Casimir trade, but that was really sad. And it really, and what was most sad to me was for Victor because mm-hmm. Victor, it's a shame New York did not get to see this guy pitch healthy. It really is because when he was healthy, his stuff was electric, mm-hmm. electric. And I mean, I think I want to say Manny Ramirez, and I don't know the exact number, but when he came over, because you know he was pitching in the East in Tampa Bay, I want to say Manny Ramirez is like I don't know one or two for like 15 against him. I mean, not many guys that have that record against Manny. And I remember the first couple of days he came over, we were in the weight room, and the Red Sox game was on, and Manny came up, and. Victor starts smiling, and I said, hey, what, I said, what, what do you think about Manny? And he, he smiled, he goes, he don't want to face me. He don't want to face me. He wants no part of me. I mean, that's the kind of attitude he had. But he didn't ha- – I mean, he had probably – probably of all the pitchers that I've ever had, you know, the privilege of coaching in my career, he probably had the highest, highest threshold of pain of any, of any pitcher that I've had. Well, that amazes me because today, I mean, you look at the Cespedes, uh, you look at the almost Carlos Gomez for Wilmer Flores deal, and the Mets didn't do it because of Gomez's hip problems. You think, I mean, that t- the technology and the doctors available today, uh, that deal with Zambrano probably would never would have happened. Never. Never. Well, mm-hmm. especially if they would have got the medical records. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, they didn't, they didn't have the medical I mean, Tampa probably should have done, and I, and I, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, and I, I, I don't want to say this like they should have because I really know because I'm not, I'm not in the medical field. But with the problems that he was having, the fact that they had him on Vioxx for five or a steroid med pack for five days, because typically that lasts nine or ten days. Mm-hmm. And again, w- w- once they give you a steroid med pack, this is like serious business. And, and so I, I'm surprised that they wouldn't have done an MRI as they were administrating that kind of a strength strength of a medication. You know, that, that should have been a typical protocol. But the other factor with Zimbrano, he had three or four starts prior to coming over here, right before the trade, of, a, of over 130 pitches consecutively. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, again, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was literally, you know, like a horse. I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if there's been a start this year 
in the major leagues. I know there wasn't a couple weeks ago. I don't know whether it has in the last couple weeks. I don't think there's a start in the major leagues that's been over 125 pitches or 130. No. I mean, so that, that's unheard of in today's game because of the, because how conservative everybody is. Mm-hmm. But 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 feeling so badly for someone who wanted to show everybody how good he is, and 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 and, and he he had the personality to perform in New York. The crap that he gave, he put up with in New York from that trade, I mean he and he handled it. I mean right up front. And and the first day he the first day he came out and threw for us. I'm standing next to Guy Conti, and I go, Guy, look at this. His arm's freaking killing him. It's killing him. I mean mm-hmm. you can tell. You know, you can tell when, I mean, I remember when Chad Pennington, you know, they were saying his arm was healthy. And, and in fact, I, I was in Birmingham at the lab, and which is right across the street where Dr. Andrews does surgery. And Dr. Andrews knew I was coming to town, and someone came over and said, listen, before you leave, Dr. Andrews wants to see you. And I said, yeah, I can't wait to see him, you know, because you know, I mean, a couple of years ago I got the Dr. Andrews Lifetime Achievement Award, you know, for the work in biomechanics. So I went over, and he's in surgery, literally. So, like, you walk into, like, like a big living room, and then on off there's on three three rooms off the living room consecutively on each side, like six different rooms, are, are, are surgery rooms. And so Dr. Andrews, you know, here's this, he's operating on somebody. You know, all you can see is, like, sheets every place. You couldn't see a person. And then his arm is, is extended on, like, a pulley. You know, he's operating on the shoulder, so they're, like, pulling the arm up. They open up the shoulder. So the, one of the people, and Dr. Andrews is, like, waving to me, and I'm like, hey, just do the surgery, man. Come on. You know? <laughs> you know? and, and so someone comes out of the operating room and said, look, this surgery is not going well. Um, they, thought he would, they thought he was going to scope it, but they're, he's going to have to cut into it now. He's going to have to, like, literally cut into the, the, the cuff. And so about two minutes later, Somebody else walks in, and come to find out, it's Chad Pennington. You know, I could have called, like, New York, the, you know, the PR people in New York. I hit Pennington's. It's not scoped anymore. You know, they're cutting into it. You know, but I, but I tell that story because prior to the surgery, I remember watching the Jet game, and they're showing Chad Pennington warming up on the sideline. And they're going, yeah, Pennington's shoulder's, like, feeling great. And I'm watching him throw. I'm going, his shoulder's killing him. I mean, I mean, once you know what people look like when they're healthy, when they throw right, mm-hmm. You know, and Zambrano is that way. It would take him forever to warm up in the bullpen mm-hmm. because when you have that kind of injury, it, it's kind of like a feeling of if you have – you ever get like a small pebble in your shoe and like it feels like, oh, geez, like you can hardly walk on it. But if, you, yeah. but if you can't stop, I mean, let's say like you're in a real hurry and like you're, like you're even running, after like another like 30, 40 seconds, it becomes numb. The pain becomes numb. You don't feel it anymore. It hurts so bad that it just, you know, it neutralizes. And that's what that injury is like. Because I had that injury in college. And I would, I, would, I would literally warm up for big games against Florida State. And I would have tears rolling down my cheeks. My, my, shoulder, my elbow hurt so badly. But once you keep throwing, it becomes numb. And then the next day, you can hardly straighten out your arm. And that's what Zimbrano went through. But he would never tell anybody. He would always say, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I pitch. I'm good. I'm good. And he had the capacity to deal with that kind of pain. Amazing. Rick Peterson, former Mets pitching coach. There it is, the Zambrano story uh, we all waited for. It was a good one. Uh, Rick Peterson CT on Twitter. And make sure you go to rickpetersoncoaching.com and get the Crunch Time book. Rick, great talking to you. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. All right. Looking forward to it, guys. Take care, Rick. You got it. 
You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.